Hello, I'm Leroy Garcia, and this is Blue Rain Gallery Podcast. Today we have two wonderful guests, and Lauren Page and Tony Chavaria. Uh, we're going to interview them today, and we're going to talk about the Museum of Indian Art and Culture. Uh, both of them have prominent roles in different ways in that museum, and I'm glad that you both are here. Um, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, I've worked with Tony for as long as I've been in this business. He's been at Mayak. And uh, Tony is from uh, Santa Clara Pueblo. But he has, well, we'll let him say, what do, what do you do at Mayak, Tony? Oh, I'm the current curator of ethnology. I started there as an assistant curator of collections. And it might have been that position or one or two when I first remember going to Blue Rain when it was in Taos. Mm -hmm. exactly. Way back then. Huh? Way back then, exactly. Yeah, well, I, I think you've done a fantastic job, and we'll talk a little bit about the journey of things. And then this is Lauren Page. Lauren, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do for the Museum of Indian Art and Culture. So I work for the Museum of New Mexico Foundation, and I am the Director of Leadership Giving for the Museum of Indian Arts and Culture and the Office of Archaeological Studies. So basically, I run all the private fundraising for the museum. Yeah, and that's an important role, because these museums, they need all the help they can get, especially the Museum of Indian Art and Culture. Uh, preemptively, we were talking a little bit about the history of the Museum of Indian Art and Culture and, and the fact that some of our, our local peoples have not necessarily bought into what that museum offers and it it's a it's one of the most uh, important museums we have in the United States and in particular in preservation of the the Pueblo cultures along the Rio Grande and uh, Tony has been a, a big role player as you noticed by his titles and what he's done in that preservation and also the display um, one of the wonderful things uh, that that museum came up with I think it was about 30 years ago was the <laughs> here now and always uh, that got really outdated. But at the time, what, what did it represent? What was so wonderful about it? Yeah, so here now and always when it first opened, um, I believe in 97, but had been in development since like 90. Mm -hmm. That was the first exhibition to really showcase and feature native voice in a large museum exhibition. Um, and basically it was to be like a permanent exhibition of, of people of the Southwest and to provide their voice um, that the you know the people who know the culture are the people who live in it, you live it. So that was to pursue move away from interpretation to more presentation. And but that exhibit though was largely um, using consultants, and it wasn't. Then they they took that model and developed it elsewhere later, um, including at the National Museum of American Indian to actual you know, the community, Smithsonian. yeah, community curation exactly. Um, but yeah, so it was it was innovative at its time. It also had a uh, would take into concerns that some native groups have about certain material, like archaeological material and whatnot, so that people were could take precautions, you know, when they're going to a museum. Especially in the past, sometimes you know, there's some uh, communities so don't want to be exposed to like certain items or um, uh, like you know, especially if you go to a natural history museum, like a yeah. mummy or something. Right. You know, we don't have things like that, but. Just but along there's those spiritual. Lines, exactly. There could be spiritual relics and things yes, that are integrated exactly. in there, and uh, the tribes are very sensitive to to those things. What what I liked about the first exhibit, which you guys have carried on, is that the native voice uh, perspective versus a curatorial uh, <laughs> a representation from academia. Yes. Right. Yeah, that anonymous voice of authority. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like, well, what is that voice? And so we 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 
that became dated, but there was still a framework of what was successful. So I had the opportunity of, uh, about two months ago, Lauren uh, Page over here uh, invited me and, and my staff and my wife, and we went through the walkthrough before everything was put in there. I was like, I, I totally got the concept right away, but now that the, the exhibit is up, what can you say about this new exhibit compared to the old exhibit? Oh, so it has been completely redesigned. Um, in the last exhibit, you know, it was kind of like broken down in different sections, but when you came out of this first initial transformative section called Emergence, basically since many of the tribes, their origin stories talk about emerging Emergence. from another world onto this world. And we kept that because of the well, community meetings thing that's important to keep. But then in the old one, basically you came out in this open platform and you mostly saw the backs of cases. And so you still had still weren't really oriented. And so now we've kind of to more of like a, what they call a hub and spoke layout. So you come into what we're also calling now is the cycles rotunda. So the first section you come into is cycles because cycles can be anything, mean anything. You know, some, uh, cycles of life, seasonal cycles, you know, uh, ceremonial cycles, life cycles. So that you go in there and those cycles basically can also influence all the other thematic sections. So it's a kind of like a big rotunda space. And you can kind of like almost pick your own journey as you go through the exhibition. And based on the um, an initial uh, visitorship, so we're also going to try to improve the wayfinding as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's a different, especially in an exhibit, you don't have the benefit of a test flight. It's only until people go in there yeah. who've never seen the space. Because I was, I was telling the other um, uh, staff people, you know, we've been looking at this for the past two years from a bird's eye view. You know, what so we're looking at is like, you know, an architectural layout from up above. And it's different when someone goes in that space who's never been in there. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so we know where things are, but people necessarily may not. So, yeah, you, you always get these little um, things that you want to improve after it opens and you get the feel of what the visitors like. But overall, the, the, the response is really positive because it's also including a more... Um, some more technology. Um, it's one of the first exhibits we've ever done at Mayak to incorporate a great deal of light design mm -hmm. in, in there as well. And um, there's also these, each section has an iPod, iPad station where um, there's these different interviews talking about you know, the concepts of that section. And these, uh, these interviews are with native uh, artists or, or native peoples uh, talking about their culture in a firsthand regard, right? Yes. Yeah. So um, artists and just, um, you know, some are tribal officials, um, others just have, you know, experience of, you know, the different items in there. Um, and so, yeah, it, so it basically, you know, kind of gives a, uh, a deeper background, a deeper context to the uh, pieces. Um, what was kind of really interesting, even especially the first here now and always was that the objects were basically almost supplemental to the words mm -hmm. that they were basically just helped to supplement the stories. And um, it's now there's kind of like, I'm thinking a little more of a balance between the two, mm -hmm. but that still that there's some, some really interesting pieces to see, but a lot of that really deep content you'll find in the interviews. So um, from the old exhibit to the new exhibit, what is your favorite change? What, what, what did you add that was not in that first exhibit? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, there's some good stuff in there. <laughs> yeah, I know there, there's a lot. I do like how we were able to break up cycles into its more uh, subsections in a sense, you know, um, adulthood, childhood, elderhood, if you will, um, uh, what we call rites of passage. And that can be anything, you know, um, like even um, uh, baptisms, graduations today are rites of passage. 
um, and seasonal changes, things like that. Uh, but and then also uh, there's uh, the larger vignettes. You know, now we have a besides the the uh, Hogan, uh, the, the first one is much more literal, and this newer one is more um, a, a stylized. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a Pueblo a Pueblo house, and then a Hickory Apache teepee. You know, we didn't have, and people always see that. See, well, we have a, a lot teepee. of cultures in New exactly, Mexico, yeah. man. Like, and they'll say, a, what's a teepee? What's that doing in here? Isn't that plains? And then it's like, no, actually, well, that, uh, especially because of that contact, particularly between like Comanches and such mm-hmm. with the Pueblos and, 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 and the Apache people, you know, they adapted some of those pieces, especially when the uh, Apache people were still, you know, uh, Slightly nomadic as well, you know. So they said, "Oh yeah, oh, yeah." From the White Mountain Apaches to the Dulces, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it covers a lot, a lot of area. area. A lot of area, exactly. No, that that's pretty cool. Um, one thing as an art dealer in the Native spectrum that I have noticed is that there has been a growing attention paid to um, vesture. Uh, you have a lot of designers, and I love the fact that you you incorporated some. Of it. Can you tell us a little bit about? Uh, that concept and what it's about and who's in there as far as the, the, the vestures. Oh, oh gosh. Um, there's a whole island yeah, of it, right? There is. Yeah. was, um, um, yeah. And, and our exciting museum speak, which we call the wearable art platform. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so yes, we have been really fortunate in the past. Um, very recently to have, uh, we've been able to make some purchases and some donors have, um, bequests of material um, that is showing the contemporary like fashion, you know, contemporary clothing. Who are some of these artists? That oh, right, right now on display, so mm-hmm. Virgil Ortiz, Patricia Michaels, um, uh, Lauren Aragon as well. And so we have, and then Lauren Aragon from Acoma Pueblo, you know, he won Phoenix Fashion Week a couple of years ago. And he used a jar, uh, an, an older Akama Oya in collections, as an inspiration for the dress that he designed. Oh, nice! And so they're they're sitting ne- next to each other, and then the P- Patricia Michaels has that one really like beautiful um uh, uh, feather um, uh, dress of the skirt. Yeah. And then we uh, we then paired that with a um a really nice uh, Maria and Julian uh, the feather a members feather design plate. Oh, you no, know, nice I saw that. Example. that yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> yes. It's beautiful. So, yeah, so showing that kind of context. And then also um, uh, Terry Greaves. So it's incredible. It's incredible. It's, again, one of my other favorite ones, additions. So it's incredible high-heeled um, uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. tailors, Chuck Taylors, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. beaded, you know, beaded Beautifully. You know, to, to the you know, universe and beyond. It's amazing. And and also, it's a nice to kind of show that too. One, because like Terry and her family not only have like deep connections to Santa Fe and the regions, but also, but also Kiowas as well. Right. You know, that's the, just right on the, yeah, the eastern border. Exactly. Right? And the Kiowas and the Comanches definitely had interactions in this region. And that even um, uh, to look at it just from a, uh, a boring anthro view is that um, Kiowa language is actually in the same language group as many of the Tewa, Tewa, Towa. And oh. so it's all under the Tanoan language group. Oh, nice. Yeah, so there was, again, I would think it more like Carizian or something. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's uh, interesting. So, Lauren, what are you doing to get uh, recognition for this museum and, and get donors in? What's going on <laughs> on your end? Um, luckily, it's not taking a whole lot of work right now because people are just so excited to see the exhibit. This has been going in the works for nine years. Um, a lot of donors and people who contributed to the exhibit have been there for the whole ride. And so a lot of it is just sitting back and letting them enjoy the space mm-hmm. and get to know the curators and see 
you know, how this investment played out. Um, and, you know, it is incredible to see this public-private partnership um, and see where private funds can come in and really help to polish an exhibit like this and make sure that the curators and staff have ample funding to do the incredible lighting or to acquire a piece like Lauren Aragon's dress, um, which they commissioned him to design for this. Um, so really, it's just the donors coming in and saying, oh, that's where my money went. And mm. that's exciting for them. And they're just... It, they're thrilled right now. I think that's wonderful. And so if, if somebody wants to um, get involved with the Museum of Indian Art and Culture through financial way, how, how would they do that? The Museum of New Mexico Foundation, or really any of the MIAC staff, um, they're all, they know exactly how this partnership works. Um, so they know that we collect funds for educational programming, exhibitions, and acquisitions. And the foundation does fund 100% of those budgets. Yeah. Um, so that's really where the private-public partnership plays a significant role. And so I think, you know, just talking to the staff and saying, where is the most need right now? Where can I make the biggest difference? And whether that's leaving a collection to the museum, um, which Yara Pitchford um, was a huge supporter of the museum, and she recently passed away. She did? Yes. Yeah. And I that's actually, really. I think, is that where the Virgil Ortiz jacket came from? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the Virgil Ortiz jacket that's in the exhibit came from her collection. She left a tremendous um, collection to us. She left 100% of her native art to oh, Maya. Oh, wonderful! Over 100. Well, she's yeah. such Over a beautiful person. Yeah, yeah, I, I had the opportunity to know her for at least 30 years. Yeah. I, I'm surprised that she passed. Yes, but a beautiful yeah. person. Her and her husband. Yes, both. Gerald. Yeah, yeah. great, great people. people. They're very missed, that's for sure. Yeah, she left. Um, we have a, her collection is over 700 objects. Yeah, and as I've told uh, the foundation, and uh, we we're talking internally, that it has set us up the museum with contemporary works, you know, for the next generation or so. Yeah. Because museums often collect um, like 20, 25 years behind the times. You yeah, know? yeah. And, you know, we're often, you know, we rely on It's hard to be contemporary. Exactly. Because, uh, you know, especially you know, modest acquisition funds and what, and, and sometimes you can, are you going to pick buy one thing or are you going to buy like 10 smaller things, you know, as well. But this one has really, really set us up and it's, and it's really well documented. You know, she kept, you know, receipts and books of all of her purchases. Oh, she, and such. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, knowing her, uh, that's not surprising. <laughs> but that, that's cool. I, I, I want to encourage people to think about that as they get older uh, or they want to downsize to think about uh, the Museum of Indian Art and Culture for some of those. We, we lose a lot of our heritage to other states and other museums, and it's, it's quite sad. Um, but it also is why we're here today, because we need to emphasize the importance of the Museum of Indian Art and Culture, um, especially to our native peoples here. This this is this is their museum. And it's it's the best place of preservation that I can think of in our state right now, uh, even though the vaults are a little bit full, as you would know. <laughs> but I'm sure that well, there's more planning for more storage in the future because we, we need to get more of these uh, collections to stay here. Um, I mean, it's wonderful that they go to other museums, but they go to other museums in other states. They don't stay here and it, I, I think um, for for our tribes in educating it's one of the best platforms to come in and uh, you can probably uh, come to the museum and ask for a private review of the vaults to go down there and see the hardcore history from prehistoric times to now um, and I make that museum covers everything yes that's what makes us kind of unique especially even like among native art museums is that because as you know as a state museum we're also the repository for, you know, for archaeological materials as well. 
again, most of that's offsite at the Center for New Mexico Archaeology. But yeah, so our collections, you know, go back, you know, to, you know, Clovis, you know, or yeah. even pre-Clovis times, you know, mm-hmm. 12,000 years ago Correct. to present day. And with, with a, a really good strength between like 1880 and 1940, when a lot of, you know, museums were like, we've having those big, heavy collecting periods, but... And then ever since then, we've been trying to fill in those gaps. Yeah, yeah. And that's our, well, it's important that people like Yara Pitchford and Bucks Bombs and even the Bowsers, you know, a lot of these people are donating these uh, collections and it's important. And, and it's contemporizing everything. Yes. yes versus waiting 20 year yeah. lag. And yeah, you know, like, like today, you know, you can come here and see contemporary art. And oftentimes you go to a museum and you're only seeing things that, you know, right. like in the past. So what, what, what Tony's talking about in that period, uh, basically the railroads uh, started coming through New Mexico around the 1880s and uh, created a tourist trade of items. And, and that's kind of where the collecting of contemporary native Pueblo pottery got its roots. And uh, it's really developed since that, uh, since that time to now. So I'm, I'm happy that you guys are taking care of our heritage and, and all those wonderful items that have been collected for all those years. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's in our mission to be um, good stewards. You know, we're, we're to provide responsible stewardship you know, in promoting, you know, the art and culture you know, of the native peoples of the Southwest and, you know, those associated groups as well. So, yeah, that it's... Um, uh, we know we try to do our best, and like um, Lauren mentioned, you know that even though we we are a state museum, but again, they mostly just fund the uh, basic you know facilities and um, uh, most of the salaries, and then the rest of the other things, like the education, exhibits. exactly. Yeah. Even sometimes the even the collections care, some of that basically is all raised separately, because uh, you know through again public and private concert, public and private you know help, um, including um, some grants as well. We were lucky for in here now always we received as a national endowment for the humanities, correct? Grant, you know, there's a size of right, help us. You got to write those for those exactly. grants all the time. Yes, yes, yes. and but that with with the um, a private support, and really made all of this possible because, as it was, it was a long term project in the making. But, um, you know, we're happy. We know how it's come out, and we're uh, going to be, you know. Uh, making uh, some additions, improvements, and like you mentioned too, especially with the uh, the wearable art, you know, oh, and the yeah. fashion, that hopefully will change more well, That's what I was going to ask you, the, the yeah. modulation, <laughs> the, you know, the the changing the exhibit. Yeah. Because that was part of the problem at the last uh, Here Now and Always. There was no change. No. And it, 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 the time crept in there, and it looked older and older and older. And so I'm, I'm hoping that this new uh, Mayak uh, Here Now and Always will have the opportunity to develop in a future way with fresh exhibits and new voices because these generations, they, I'm getting older fast, <laughs> but that's that, that new generation that's going to have a voice that we'll want to have in that museum as well. It's not always about the past. Exactly. That's one of the things too about updating it. It's like some of the people who are like young kids when that first here and on always, you know, came out, they have PhDs now. Yes. And so it's important to continue that, generational voice that it's not again just something that's going to get stuck over time and and also besides you know, conservation concerns as well but also just to keep things you know like moving that to, to like make my changes throughout the exhibition so that someone comes back you know every couple of years they're going to see things they hadn't seen before yeah and especially like with that you know the fashion and wearable art all the vestments that those things are changing you know and they're constantly and more and more people are working in that things and it'd also be great too to even do things like showing how native people are working in film or even podcasts 
One of the other things I noticed about that exhibit is you had a, a, a rebuilt old trading post in there too. And the trading post still exists. You know, I, I think about even downtown Albuquerque, you still have Palms trading post, right? But you, you go to the Navajo reservation, you still have little places here and there. So it's really cool that you guys uh, rebuilt a little trading post in there. And where was that trading post from? Is it Hemes? Yes, some of the material in there is from the old Hamas Pueblo trading post. Yeah. They um, gave us some of the ephemera, some of the like advertising, and then a, a case as well that was in their trading post. In the trading post. Yeah, it, it's kind of fun. It's very interactive. It's, it's nice to go and, and check these things out. And um, like Tony was saying, there, there are iPads everywhere with voices, native voices in a contemporary way, talking about their tribal experiences or how they see life or what has inspired them. And it's just a beautiful exhibit. I'd like to encourage everybody to come in and see that. I mean, Blue Rain is a great place to come in Santa Fe, but the Museum of Indian Art and Culture is another reason to come here and, and visit this beautiful town and share that history. Um, what are we doing to incorporate more of the native tribes uh, participation in that museum? That's a good question. No, absolutely. That has always been a challenge up there. Um, you know, as when as long as I've been there, and even before, <clears throat> and it'll continue. And I think again, one of the reasons is um, the admission. You know, there's many other museums, especially native art museums, that will allow native visitors you know come in for free. Right. And generally, it's just self-identified, and or or at a discount. You know, like even like if you go to the uh, herd art market, you know, there's yeah. like the you know the Indian price. <laughs> right. So, right. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be a great if we can work with the state to try to what we can see to you know work along those lines because it's you know it's something that's one is because you know it's in Santa Fe so you know it's very close to the communities but it's not you know, getting right next to it but we're in a better position than other places and if we can um, maybe like we're going to try to develop a gallery um, a guide um, a program so that um, you know we have a docent program but again docents you know are volunteers. And, you know, generally you have to have, you know, the ability to give up that time, you know, right. and make the trip and then do the training and such. But if we couldn't we can develop a paid gallery guide system, you know, system program, then that would give it also an idea for people to come in. And, and a part of it too is doing more outreach, you know, that we can reach out there and let them know about the museum and let them know that they can bring in senior groups, you know, yeah. and we can work, you know, they're basically considered like under the, the same category school groups, you know, so it'd be a, a waived admission. So that they can come in and get an experience it, and then hopefully be able to take this back, encourage your families to come, especially for some of like the other events that we have, and because um, it's sometimes too like you know it's like oh you know come and see you know this you know amazing exhibit and such too, and but we're gonna charge you you know like whatever like I, the, I think the rate I, to see your own I stuff. I think they can figure that out. <laughs> I, I I think that would be important to uh, let our our tribal members go in there for free yeah. because that, you know you're 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 educating. And you're also providing a pathway forward in the future with people getting a, a, a buy-in to responsibility of preservation. Excellent. Yes, excellent right? point. Excellent point. Because, yeah, whatever revenues that you think you're losing, you're going to gain later on. Yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to pay back in other ways you can't even imagine later on. So, Lauren, you have your work cut out for you there. <laughs> yeah. And I would say also, I mean, as far as bringing new communities into the museum, um, I think 
Lilia and some other staff members are doing a phenomenal job about thinking about how to bring millennials and younger generations in. And for instance, they're setting up an Indian collective uh, SCO Vote Den event in August during Swaya. And that's just, you know, a nonpartisan voter registration event with a concert. And that's going to bring a, tr- a ton of representation well, out. It's, an, it's important. I'm going to tell you, yeah. you know, I've been in this business for 32 years now. And um, I don't see the the interest in the younger generation that like we just talked about Yara she just donated 700 pieces to you guys and in in that age demographic they're all like that they were hoarders <laughs> but they 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 loved what they they collected and they lived with it and um but the the younger generation it's been tough for us to replace what's passing on too and i i think the museum is stuck in the same problem in some ways uh but developing a younger interest uh, in what we're doing here is important. We yeah, need to. I think all museums are going through this kind of crisis right now of how to stay relevant and how to be relevant to um, underrepresented communities, traditionally younger communities, just everybody. Because, I mean, let's face it, museums are catering to one demographic largely for the last yes. however many hundreds of years. And it's the first time really stepping back and breaking that. And I think Mayak is doing a beautiful job here in Illinois, I think is such an incredible space to walk into and is a good representation of the steps they're going to be taking to be relevant. Well, I can, I can imagine being um, a young native person coming into that museum and like, wow, this is contemporary. It's not like you're stepping back in time. It's like you're in the present day. And that, that's a big deal. And uh, really appreciate all the work that you both have done and all the staff members and the construction crews and all that stuff. Um, they did a fantastic job. Um, like to thank you both for coming today. Uh, enjoyed visiting with you. I'd uh, like to encourage our viewers to uh, sign up for our podcasts on any of the platforms. You can also find us on blueraingallery.com. Also, we'd like to encourage you to take art into your everyday life by going to blueraingprintshop.com. Thank you, guys. Thank you. <laughs>